we're gathered we're gathered here to do, today for episode two of josh's josh's uh creation tark tales tark tales and josh josh whoa you're making me dizzy sorry it's <laughs> a so Josh wanted us to get together to ruminate um, on as it relates to cuisine as the topic. And I know that Alyssa really wants to slam us with a story, <laughs> moth style. Um, I don't know if it's ready. So, and it's, yeah, sorry. So, so basically, um, th this will be episode two. Josh already recorded episode one. It's going to be a podcast that I've submitted to Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, Unfortunately, I misspelled it when I initially submitted it. I spelled it T-A-I-L-S, like tails, not tails. So there might be a delay. Not, not tails like but, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So like tails of animals. Um, so yeah, uh, basically, Josh, would you, like to, would you like to kick off with any additional words? Uh, yeah, it's a bad idea made four times worse by you guys joining. So <laughs> good job. Good job. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess if you guys want, I can, I, I'd be happy to start with the, uh, with a, with a food related, with a Tark food related story. Uh, unless someone else is really, really eager to get it, get it going. It's all you. All right. Well, Jeff, are, are we good? You're the. Absolutely. You are rolling. Well, and, and Jeff actually features prominently in this story. So I'm going to call it the incredible, inevitable egg. Um, so, so our story, the hero of our story is the, uh, humble egg. And I, I would like to say that this egg will, will become, uh, something treasured by many, many people, uh, in very short order, but it begins as every good food and, uh, every good, uh, egg story does with a very warm, we could say sultry, maybe humid morning in mid-July in Vermont uh, at the Tark Ten Bear Aid Station. And we're there hours, hours before any of the runners come through for the Vermont 100, uh, mile 50-ish for their first time through. And at the time, my co-race director for the Tark 100, Mark Kruger, was present. And Mark fired up the grill and fired up a griddle and began frying eggs that he had purchased probably from some local farmer. So these were eggs that had been, you know, born of the field. And uh, he had slices of Cabot cheddar, none of that American cheese substitute stuff that we, you, you can so easily find at any Tark aid station. And he had butter and he put the English muffins on it. And for those interested, there was also bacon. I, I opted out of the bacon. Um, and Mark offered these up to the volunteers who were prepping for three, four hours before any runners came through. And, you know, I may or may not have had four to six of them uh, in that time in a very, very hot, humid July day in Vermont, and then sweat them out during the day. And they might have caused chafing in places that I did not anticipate when I wasn't running. But nonetheless, I thought about it all day. And I realized like these were the perfect aid station food. I mean, it's protein, it's salt, and it's carbs, and it's delicious. And you cut them up like a quesadilla, and it's a grab and go. It's a full, complete package. So I made it my personal mission to have 
eggs be featured in TARC aid stations. So the next race I did. Uh, well, before, before you continue, in Vermont, were, were just the volunteers eating them or were the runners imbibing in these as well? Well, Jeff, that was going to be, you know, part of the, part of the story was going to be how I decided to bring the, the Tark sandwich, the Tark McMuffin, if you will, to the aid stations. And I was convinced this was going to be solid, pure gold, just like the, the gooey yolk of the egg. It was going to be solid. Well, I guess that's not solid. It was going to be runny gold for every runner. And... I, I, so I probably bought for the first time maybe four or five dozen eggs because they're really inexpensive too. And I left after that race with probably about four or five dozen eggs that were in my fridge for many, many weeks. Uh, but the, the biggest conclusion to come out of that race was one uh, skeptical Jeff who showed up and saw these eggs in the fridge or wherever they were and was like, who the hell bought the eggs? And I, and since that day, so this is like four years in the running, I have held that the egg, the noble egg, it is inevitable, the incredible inevitable egg, despite skeptical Jeff's reservations. But he did make a wonderful point, uh, interrupting my tale, T-A-L-E, that uh, it was only volunteers who were actually eating these sandwiches. So I might not have thought through this. So Despite my sincere, fervent desire that the Tark McSandwich is a prominent feature at every race, um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be holding out hope for a few more years. I think. Well, I I think that was Tarky Trot where you tried to bring the egg. Yes. I do remember we I do rem I do remember I think we did we did try to cook them, but we just never got. Again, we only had traction with the race director, who was Josh, um, and we never really got the six-hour runners to, to to get down on them. So, yeah. yeah, and it might be, it might, you know, in in all honesty, I will, I will sort of, uh, I will cede to you, Jeff, that it may be one of those items that's best suited for the sort of ghost train or, or frozen Yeti, uh, which shirt I'm wearing now, you know, where, where you get into the dinner time or next morning breakfast. So I, I've learned some lessons. I'm, I'm not set in my ways entirely. Um, I do agree um, that maybe on a longer timeline, they, their validity would, would come out. Um, I mean, you know, at the Tark 100, I remember you would buy uh, sushi for the aid station volunteers and you get every aid station a giant platter of you know like you know supermarket sushi which is vegetarian so we didn't have to worry about it being you know some funky tuna or anything but you know we we'd eat it because the, the aid stations were pretty small staffs and we'd eat it and then eventually we'd put it out for the for the because the runners would go oh is that sushi and they'd start eating it themselves so yeah in a long enough timeline anything can happen Man, the runners eat anything. People don't know yeah, what they true. want until they're presented with it. Until they see it, yeah. Well, yeah. so I'll, I'll say this about, about the aid station food. I think that every signature aid station food involves a secret ingredient. Um, so I'll start with the story. I'll, I'll, moving towards the story of the skeptical Jeff, I'll touch on the secret ingredient aspect. Um, when I was first directing the Winter Ultra, Mike Barrett was uh, manning the soup station. 
Um, at the Winter Ultra, we had a nice electric crock pot going, fed off a generator. And we had that uh, condensed tomato soup that you had to reconstitute with, with water. And so, of course, we had our water and our tailwind in those clear pitchers, of course, not well marked. And um, Mike had been reconstituting the, the, the um, soup with orange tailwind. And runners were amazed at how good the soup was, um, how oh, sweet no. and salty that tomato soup was. And I looked and I got, tasted what we were reconstituting it with, and it was indeed orange tailwind. Um, oh, that's special. So, Exactly. So a secret ingredient can really can really make the dish. So the, the story of the skeptical Jeff was at the Spring Classic several years ago. Um, we were, of course, making quesadillas. And at one point, a volunteer, um, you know, started to put bananas and peanut butter in the quesadilla. And again, I was skeptical, but I knew that it needed a secret ingredient to really make it something that the runners would enjoy. Uh, that that and volunteer, luckily, by the way, uh, was me, Jeff. That was okay. Okay. I don't know. He seemed, I don't know. He seemed like a guy who just came once, never saw him again. Kept talking about eggs the whole time. I don't know who he was. (laughs) Um, But somebody brought a, um, it was right around Easter and somebody um, had brought a three foot chocolate bunny that their uh, in-laws had given to their kids. And they said, I don't want this chocolate bunny in my house. My kids are going to eat this. So they brought it. And of course, who's going to eat a three foot chocolate bunny? Um, so what I did is I broke it down, cracked its ears off, and we put that in the quesadilla to make it a chocolate, peanut butter, banana quesadilla, completing the skeptical Jeff, which has been an aid station cuisine that's gone in the record books. Never been reproduced since, but it has an amazing story. And because the skeptical Jeff, right, to be an actual skeptical Jeff, the chocolate has to be from an East, like a bunny, correct? Three foot chocolate bunny, at least three feet. Could be at larger, but it has to be a chocolate bunny. Santa, a Santa could do as well. Do. You can't have a two foot bunny. Nope. 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 No, not those, not those ones you get like at the checkout aisle that are like, yeah, no, no. six inches. No, no it's got to no. be three feet. Okay. I don't know. I think that sounds pretty yep. good. The peanut butter and chocolate and bananas and a, you got everything. Your carbs, your sweet, your, you know, you got a banana in <laughs> your there. Your carbs and your sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Which got, is really all you, carbs and sweet. all you need. You know? <laughs> And it it was dubbed the Skeptical Jeff because at the time, just Jeff was skeptical that anyone would would even approach this. So, yeah, the secret ingredient to Skeptical Jeff. (laughs) So so, so since we're talking about peanut butter um, and secret (laughs) ingredients, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, don't so many good stories start with peanut butter. so I know everybody wants to hear the origin story of Yeti balls, but I hate to disappoint everybody. It is not interesting at all. Um, so I'm going to skip that story because there's not much to it. Uh, and I, I want to tell you. That further is a conspiracy, you know. That makes it that much more interesting. <laughs> I was really looking forward to that. I tell you, I tell you, there is, it's not an interesting story. But speaking of peanut butter and my grandmother, um, so this, this origin story starts with my grandmother. Um, so I am half Italian, and what do we do? We feed people. What do we feed them? Pasta. So get in your t- way back time machine and go back to the very first Tark 100 in, <laughs> in 
in 2013. And I was, uh, I was 2013, that was the mud year. Um, and uh, I was co-captaining the aid station with, with Paul, whose last name escapes me. But I was thinking, you know, what do runners want? These, these folks are gonna be running like for hours and hours and hours and through the night, it might get chilly. You need something that kind of like, you need the perfect combination of, you need your carbs, and of course you need peanut butter, um, and you probably need some protein in there. And um, so I had what I thought was a brilliant idea of the perfect food, um, spicy Thai peanut sauce with pasta. Uh, <laughs> so you get your peanut butter, your carbs, you know, it's perfect. And, and with uh, cubed up tofu, so it was vegan friendly. <laughs> It was vegan. I mean, not just vegan friendly. It was vegan. Um, <laughs> a nice, healthy dose of protein, and what could be better? So I um, I cooked up something like ten pounds of pasta. <laughs> could have been more. I don't know. Um, and I got a whole bunch of peanut butter, the good kind, right? And I made this fantastic spicy peanut sauce. Um, I thought this is gonna be great. This is gonna be great. It's like sort of haute cuisine for the aid station, right? Um, and uh, I filled a Tupperware, like a storage bin, not just a Tupperware container, but an actual Tupperware uh, storage bin that had been cleaned and sanitized beforehand. Um, green thought, with a red top, Alyssa. <laughs> it was green with a red top. Makes an impression, right? Um, so filled this, filled this bin, put it in the fridge, brought it to TARC 100 the next day, and, and there it stayed, and stayed, and stayed, and stayed. And I think one hearty <laughs> soul ate one serving, and, and I think just to humor me, he said it was good. Um, now, this was in June, so, you know, it was much like the Vermont 100, uh, it, it was sultry weather. It may have poured rain at some point and uh, come to find out spicy peanut noodles with tofu. Um, they don't, they don't hold up all that well if they're sitting in a Tupperware bin <laughs> unrefrigerated for three days, but you know, who are we to waste food? So Josh uh, very cheerfully and willingly said, it's okay. I'll put them in my compost pile. <laughs> and the legend says now years later on a clear night if you step into josh's backyard and the breeze is blowing the right way not only can you catch a whiff of the spicy peanut noodles but if you look up skyward and you look through the branches of the tree you will actually see that some of those noodles and some of the tofu, it took root. And on the branches of the trees, if you, if you look at just the right angle, you can see pasta and tofu hanging from the branches, dangling in the moonlight. The ghost of, the ghost of noodles passed. The ghost, yeah, yeah, very much passed. And, and Alyssa, much like the, uh, the guy who was making the peanut butter and banana, that might have actually been me who told you they were delicious. 
<laughs> um, so, so that's, uh, that's the legend of the spicy peanut noodle. Seven years later, I have yet to ever make or eat spicy peanut noodles again. I, they were actually, they were, they were legitimately like delicious, but I think- On day of, one. On I mean, day one, yes, yes. Not on night two. No. Uh, yeah. Alyssa, that was a, a great story and a very elaborate one to dodge the, the origin story of the Yeti balls, which we'll be asking for you on episode 100 of Tark Tales. Okay. Chris, what do you have for us? Well, um, you know, mine don't, I walked into, well, when I start, first started getting involved with Tark, I uh, started volunteering at Benny Hill. So it was just kind of me and one other person, and I would serve whatever was given to me in these boxes, your typical peanut butter and jelly. And then I started thinking, well, what would I want? Which necessarily isn't what the masses would want. Um, it might not necessarily be what's the most healthy thing. So the next year, the fireball shots, shots started to come, and the beer started to come, and maybe some additional other options started to come and Benny Hill started to gain this reputation of, you know, a little bit of a stay zone, three and a half miles to the, to the finish. And the front runners would come and go and laugh at us, but the majority, everybody would linger for a little while and kind of party. Um, and then the food started to change a little bit. And I uh, luckily was able to take over for the race and inherit the old uh, chili with Doritos, you know, bag of Doritos, smush it up and fill it with chili and everybody that would finish would have that, which is, you know, hand in hand with Wapak and Beck. Everybody seems to really love that. Um, but one of the things I love doing uh, is absolutely filling up on bacon. So one of the one of the changes I made last year was I, I want to say I supplied 10 pounds of bacon per every aid station along with quesadilla wrap. And, and guacamole, the holy guacamole package, very easy. Squirt the guacamole on, crumble some bacon, wrap it up, cut it in half, and boom. It was, I can't tell you how many people, we had zero left. There was no bacon left. I think there was like 50 pounds of bacon that I could work. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, in regards to just food at, at, at the Wapak, yeah, those are the two biggest. Um, biggest sellers for, for the race, but for myself personally, what I like to eat is really anything and everything and all loaded up at once. You know, a, a burger with beans and a Swedish fish all together with some bacon. <laughs> Wait, hold on. That, that's in a stuff. single sandwich? Yeah. What the a heck burger with beans, Swedish fish, and bacon? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> down and walk on out of there. Sounds rough. Yeah, you get a little bit of everything. You know, it's, and yet it's somehow the, the spicy the peanut noodles didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. Uh, I, I think I remember those. I paid somebody at that uh, track 100 for 50 miles through the mud, and uh, I remember that pasta. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Chris, did you say you cooked the bacon at, at your work in the ovens, or? Yeah, yeah, it goes quick that way. Although it can get very yeah, so, I didn't think about it. I fill up all these trays with bacon, and I pop them all in at once, which obviously means they're all coming out at once, too. So some of them were a little crispy. and But, yeah, I mean, it is very helpful having a bunch of ovens and a bunch of trays to do something like that at once. Oh, wait, yeah, so, so I, I mean, I, yeah. 
I haven't been bacon myself, but I do think that is important for anyone doing aid station bacon prep ahead of time. The oven is the key way to do it. You can't be messing around with skillets, all that type of stuff. Oh, yeah. Cook it in the oven ahead of time, and you're good to go. Yep. That's, uh, yeah, that is actually genius because there's, uh, at the Frozen Yeti this year, I feel like we, we were making some bacon, even though none of the race directors uh, imbibe in bacon, as Jeff said. But, uh, yeah, there was a lot of bacon smoke. Um, well, and then, then there's the bacon grease, and you got to get rid of that, too. Yeah. A lot of bacon grease. Yeah, I mean, uh, I get all that stuff, the commercial stuff, the grease trap, I just <laughs> right over to the sink and dump it in, and don't worry about it. I thought, I thought you just put it on your burger. <laughs> Save it for frying your eggs. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I make a lot of bacon at home, and uh, the dogs go nuts. I'll fill, I'll fill their food up, and then all the grease goes on top of their food. I mix it in real good. I, oh, I, was, th I was thinking that's, that's what the Swedish fish would swim in. Yeah. You, get, you, you know, gotta try fried it. fish. I think the first time I tried it was a Chimera, and there was, uh, that's in California. There was uh, this long, like, 10-mile downhill, which you had to go back up. So I was dreading going back up, and I got to the main station, and it was a, just a total spread of everything you could think of. And I was like, oh, that looks good. And I started building it, and I walked by the, you know, other things. And before I know it, my sandwich is now seven inches thick, and I'm just sitting down like a, like, you know, a, a pig in shit, just like, oh, this is the best thing in the world. Yeah, and it energized me. And then ever since then, at any aid station that I go to, I pretty much just try and combine everything. You know, a couple of Oreos and who knows, whatever they got going on. Pierogies and Oreos, very good. I, I like I, your I, like... I like your idea, Christo, of, of building your own food at the aid station. Like I feel like that's something, you know, instead of putting the quesadillas together, you know, we could we could like have like a semi buffet, which we do, but have explicit instructions that you can't leave until you've built it to a s specific height. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah right. Or a right. mystery, like a brown mystery bag. You know how some people put stuff yeah. in a Ziploc and go? We can prepare a mystery bag with some different options. And then yes. when they're down the trail, then they can open it up yes. and say, oh, you know, I have a pierogi, an Oreo, a pretzel, you know? Oh, I like I like that. Like a little grab bag. You just don't know what you're gonna get. Yeah, you never know what it's you're like, gonna get. It's like a choose your own adventure, <laughs> but for a snack. <laughs> that, I I think that's gonna happen. Because you don't know how it's gonna end. Because you don't know how <laughs> you it's just gonna end. Uh, so we uh, so as we as we wrap up because we want to keep we want to keep these episodes tight and focused. That's what Josh is telling me. Yeah. Um, I, pro I propose we go around and we, we submit one aid station food that we, we would like to see removed from aid stations and one item you'd like to see come in and replace it. So we didn't think about this ahead of time and I'll start off because I've been thinking about this for a long time and Chris touched on it. I feel like fireball is over. It needs to be removed. It's been going on for too long. It's too passe and we need something to replace it, right? I say fireball is out, peppermint schnapps is in to replace it, you know? Okay, it, it has the same qualities, the same sugar, the same alcohol, and it has the stomach-soothing capabilities that peppermint does. Peppermint, so. good point. Uh, I'll, I'll go. I, it, this is a, a more 
a simple one. I would like to see removed from the aid station salt and vinegar chips, which it very rarely pop up, but I think they should not be allowed. I just, I don't think they, they do anyone any good. Um, in addition to, you know, the obvious answer, I think they should be replaced with eggs. Um, I actually <laughs> legitimately think there's something to your grab-go mystery Christmas present in a bag aid station, Jeff. So I think we should, um, I think salt and vinegar chips should be replaced with the uh, Christmas present aid station, at option at least. Um, quick, quick question, what, quick vote. What do people think of, you know, when people bring uh, sour cream and onion chips or barbecue chips? The way I look at it, everything should just have one, it should be the base flavor. You shouldn't have, you know, flame and hot pretzels at the aid yeah, station. Yeah, but there's it always, like, there's always right like down the one middle. person there's that one person who shows yeah. up and they're like, oh my gosh, it's birthday cake flavored goldfish. Those are my favorite. There's one person. I think yeah, but then there's 23 other people that are like lamenting the birthday cake flavored pretzels or whatever the hell. Yeah. We can't please everybody, you know? I think the food, the food, it's not even a food, okay? It's, it's an offense to food. I think the item that should be banned from aid stations is any type of gel those little gel in a packet things i know people go nuts for them and really like them but nobody wants like salted watermelon power gel it's it's like disgusting so i do think um i think gels should be eliminated um big fan of real food so the first thing that comes to my mind is uh homemade rice krispie treats those oh, yeah. like, just classic oh. homemade rice krispie treats um, the packaged ones are a close second if you can't get the homemade ones, but homemade rice krispie treats, like when it's soft and kind of like the, when they're gooey with tons of marshmallows in them, um, that that's a blessing to behold at an aid station. Yeah, you know, as a as a recovered um, heavy guy that got into running because I had an eating addiction, I would say that there's no food that I would get give uh, give up on having as an option anywhere at any time but i would add more breakfast foods to all these stations like french toast pancakes bacon my you know one of my favorite things at, at mastanatin i would get i don't know which one it was somewhere close to 80 mile ish and i would come into this beautiful gazebo aid station and i would just go right to it and they would have Bacon, the sausage, I would put like a big pancake and a piece of French toast and then some bacon and then some sausage and then another piece of French toast and then layer it with, you know, maple syrup and then another pancake and walk out again with this grin from ear to ear, thanking everybody, saying, I get everything I need. You know, I'm going to walk. It's going to take me 10 minutes to finish this. I'm not going to sit here and do it. So that's my style. You're big on, you're big on layered foods, Chris, layered, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, stackable yeah. food. I like doing it fast, you know. Ego waffles, stackable. I'm slow enough, so time wasted at an eight <laughs> might mean that I'm not gonna finish. <laughs> All right, so on that note, where where Chris has effectively named every single breakfast item, if I'm at in right death row, and he's inclusive, my right? Last meal will be. It'll definitely. Be. <laughs> <laughs> Apple juice and orange juice and grape juice and some Lucky Charms, you know, <laughs> all in there.
Awesome. Well, that will, that should conclude our episode. I would like to thank everyone for joining us. Um, and we'll catch you on the next one, which we don't know if will ever happen or what it will be. <laughs> right. I'm hungry now, guys. I'm going to get some Swedish fish with uh, bacon grease. <laughs>